You're listening to the Redeeming History Podcast, Season 1, The End of the Age, brought to you by Rebel Alliance Media. In episode one, we saw how when Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, a prophecy that was fulfilled in 70 AD, he wasn't saying anything that had not been said before. There was precedent for this sort of thing in the history of the people of Israel. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of the high priest Eli, made an abomination of the tabernacle by stealing the portions of the sacrifices that belonged to God and by betting the women who served in the tabernacle. They were acting like Canaanites who worshipped with cult prostitutes in their temples and so Yahweh was going to treat them like Canaanites and destroy their place of worship, ironically, by using the Canaanite Philistines to do it. Thanks to men like the prophet Samuel and King David, the nation would recover from this disaster and eventually David's son Solomon would build a new house in which God could dwell among his people. It too, however, would eventually suffer the same fate and for the same reason. The prophet Ezekiel gives us a behind-the-scenes look at the abominations being committed inside the temple right before its demise at the hands of the Babylonians. This is God speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here, to drive me far from my sanctuary? But you will see still greater abominations. Go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing here, unquote. So Ezekiel, we are told, goes in and this is what he sees. Quote, there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping thing and loathsome beast and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Ezekiel 8, 6 to 11. So what Ezekiel was seeing was the elders of Israel offering incense to idols inside the temple of the one true God. But then God tells him, quote, you will see still greater abominations than these, unquote. And so these abominations included women weeping for the Babylonian fertility god Tammuz and the very priests of God turning their back on the temple and instead facing the east, the direction of Babylon and worshiping the sun, probably uh, in the form of the Babylonian sun god Shamar. So God gives his opinion on the merit of these actions to Ezekiel. Quote, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still to further anger? Therefore, I will act in wrath. 
My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not listen. Ezekiel 8, 17 and 18. Again, as he did earlier, the manner in which God meets out his justice is in an eye for an eye fashion. Earlier, the nation was acting just like the Canaanites, so God treated them as such and even used them as the means for Israel's punishment. This time, the nation is acting like Babylon and seeking the Babylonian gods for deliverance. And so, with the same sort of irony, God grants their wish and sends the Babylonian gods to them, not for their deliverance, but for their destruction. But all the while, even amidst the sin and the idolatry, the chaos, the death and the exile, God was keeping for himself a remnant, a good seed that would be protected during the exile and replanted back in the land. This is episode two of The End of the Age, The Fig Tree. The Old Testament prophet Amos prophesied in Jerusalem and condemned the city and guaranteed its soon coming destruction by the hand of God. In Amos chapter 9, he gives a long word of the Lord describing how that destruction would take place. But then, starting in verse 8, the Lord gives a glimmer of hope. Quote, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. And then he continues in verse 11, quote, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God." We usually assume that those who had been exiled away from Jerusalem and taken into Babylon were being judged by God through their exile. However, the book of Jeremiah paints a different picture for us. If you recall in the last episode, we briefly mentioned Zedekiah. He was the last king of Judah, this puppet king whom Nebuchadnezzar had set up after he invaded the first time and deposed Jehoiachin. Zedekiah is conflicted. On the one hand, he is sworn fealty to Nebuchadnezzar to be a client state and to provide tribute to the king of Babylon. On the other hand, He can't stand the idea of the people of Israel being a subjugated people and wants to be free from his oath to Babylon. The vast majority of Jews make it clear that they want option number two. They want to fight it out against Babylon. The prophet Jeremiah makes it clear that what God wants is surrender 
to the Babylonians. Quote, Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. Jeremiah 38, 17, and 18. But King Zedekiah is weak, and he's pathetic. He is more afraid of his court officials than he is of God. Quote, King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them and they deal cruelly with me. Jeremiah said, You shall not be given to them. Obey now the voice of the Lord in what I say to you, and it shall be well with you, and your life shall be spared. Jeremiah 38, 19, and 20. Zedekiah pleads with Jeremiah to provide a favorable word from the Lord. He wants God to perform another mighty deed like the Exodus. Jeremiah agrees that there will be an Exodus, but not the kind that Zedekiah wants. Instead of fighting against Babylon, the Lord is going to turn his might against Judah. Quote, Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls. And I will bring them together into the midst of the city. I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm, in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And I will strike down the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of a very great pestilence. Afterward, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and the people in this city who survive the pestilence, sword, and famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their lives. He shall strike them down with the edge of the sword. He shall not pity them or spare them or have compassion. Jeremiah 21, 3-7. Judah has now become Egypt. It is the nation which the Lord is going to stretch out his hand against. It is the nation that will be struck with plagues and pestilence. It is the nation which God's true followers actually need to be rescued from. Quote, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live and shall have his life as a prize of war. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and it shall burn with fire. Jeremiah 21, 8-10 We already saw in the last episode the complete destruction of the temple and the city that came at the hands of Babylon. 
After that happened, uh, and many Israelites found themselves now in the land of Babylon, Jeremiah receives another vision from God. And we have this vision recorded in Jeremiah chapter 24. In the vision, Jeremiah sees two baskets of figs. One basket was full of good figs, delicious figs that were good for eating. The other basket was full of bad figs, so bad that they were not fit to eat and had to be thrown out. The vision is interpreted for Jeremiah by God. He's told that the good figs are those who listened to the word of the prophet and who were taken peacefully into captivity. The Lord says that he will set his eye on them for their good and that he will, quote, bring them back to this land, plant them, and not pluck them up, unquote. On the other hand, the bad figs are representative of Zedekiah, his officials, and the rest of the Jews who scoffed at the word of the Lord from the prophet and tried to fight against Babylon. For those who survive uh, the initial invasion and are left in the land, God makes this promise to Jeremiah in this vision about these bad figs. Quote, I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they shall be utterly destroyed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. Jeremiah 24, 9 and 10. So, the Lord keeps his promise. When the 70 years of their exile are up, the good figs are returned and planted in the land. Under the leadership of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, the temple, the walls, and the city are rebuilt. God renews his covenant with his people. It seems as though Israel may finally be realizing its place and repenting of the sins of their fathers. Unfortunately, shortly after their return, we find out that the people are committing spiritual adultery by marrying foreign women and are not even keeping the Sabbath. And this is where the Old Testament scriptures end the history of the people of Israel. With a triumphant return to the land and a rebuilding of Jerusalem, but with a hint that things are going right back to where they were before. But we saw in the first episode that God was very gracious to his people, and he sent them prophet after prophet to give them the word of the Lord that they might turn from their sin. But they refused to listen. Zedekiah refused to listen to Jeremiah until there was no remedy and the nation was judged and the temple destroyed. Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes the treatment that the prophets faced at the hands of their own brethren. Quote, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Hebrews 11, 37 and 38. Israel has now rebuilt her temple, but has fallen back into the same old sins of her fathers. 
So God is going to send another prophet with a word from God. But this prophet is not like the other prophets. This prophet is not just a messenger or an ambassador. He is the Son, the very word of God. He is bringing the prophetic warning to this stiff-necked generation. Jesus describes the situation this way. Quote, And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Luke 13, 6-9 The fig tree of Israel that has been planted back in the land has not been producing fruit for a long time. Jesus, the true prophet, has come to give one last inspection, one last chance to prove its fruitfulness before it is chopped down. The question is, will the people listen and live, or will they reject and die? Jesus answers this question with another parable. Quote, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Luke 29-18 This is not just any prophet that Israel is going to murder. This is the vineyard owner's son. Because of this, the vineyard owner, God, is going to destroy them and give their inheritance over to another. In Exodus 19, the Lord told Moses to tell the people that if they would obey the words of the covenant, that they would be God's treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. But Israel has not obeyed the words of the covenant. They have rejected the pleas of the prophets and have rejected and killed their Messiah, God's own son. Peter puts the parable of the vineyard 
and this promise in Exodus 19 together and shows us who it is that God is handing over his inheritance to. Speaking to the Christian church, Peter says, quote, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We've spent now a couple of episodes showing you that there was both reason and precedent for this sort of judgment on those who would break God's covenant. In the next episodes, we are going to look at the specific historic event which God used to accomplish his final judgment on his rebellious people, the Jewish-Roman wars which culminated in the destruction of the city and temple in 70 AD. But before we get there, we're going to take a small detour and look at the life and times of Titus Flavius Josephus, uh, better known simply as Josephus, the writer of the Antiquities uh, and of the Jewish Wars. And he's integral to our knowledge and understanding of this event. So we'll take a moment to examine his life and his writings and uh, see how he fits into this incredible story. <laughs> 